0: I was getting ready for the message last night and usually I'll spend a few days and I read over everything and I read through the commentaries and I highlight and I underline and then I let it sit and let the Holy Spirit do his thing in my brain and then I sit down and with a pencil and I'm like, okay, I'm taking notes and I'm ready to go and so I get talking, you know I'm sitting on my bed, <laughs> my Bible's all around me and my hands are going and I'm excited and I'm talking and then all of a sudden, my Fitbit starts buzzing. You've hit your goal. Like I I feel it like totally vibrating and fireworks are going off on it. Like I did not hit the goal. And then I get on, um, like, I don't know, I was up just with this and I couldn't sleep. And so I get on my email and I see I've been invited to the Fitbit challenge with my sister and, I beat my sister, (laughs) and only because I'm moving my hands. So see, I'm going to do a lot of this, and I'm not going to beat her again. No, just kidding. (laughs) But I cracked up when I saw that because it just made me laugh. But that's how, but I do get excited because God's word is so amazing, and his anointing just is, like, electric. I was just, like, I feel like I have had caffeine sometimes when I get, you know, just really worshiping with him and digging in and just finding out what he wants to tell us. So, tonight we are reading in 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 17. And I'll read it, we'll read it in the NIV, and then I will read it in the Passion. I'm in love with the Passion translation, if I, if I just would recommend it to you. Um, all right, so let's start the NIV. Old Faithful here. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, for the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for this very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his unlimited patience as an example of those who believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal. Immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Don't you just want to amen? <laughs> like, that's, wow. I love it. So here it is in the Passion. Well, oh, what's That's what I'm turning at home. Um, okay, here we are. Uh, verse 8. We know that the moral code of the law is beautiful when applied as God intended. But actually... The law was not established for righteous people, but to bring conviction of sin to the unrighteous. The law was established to bring the revelation of sin to the evildoers and rebellious, the sinners without God, those who are vicious and perverse, and to those who strike their father or their mother, sinners, murderers, rapists, those who are sexually impure, homosexuals, kidnappers, liars, those who break their oaths, and all those who oppose the teaching of godliness and purity in the church they're the ones the law is for. I have commissioned, I've been commissioned to preach the wonderful news of the glory of the exalted God. My heart spills over with thanks to God for the way he continually empowers me and to our Lord Jesus, the anointed one who found me trustworthy and who authorized me to be his partner in this ministry. Mercy kissed me. Even though I used to be a blasphemer, a persecutor of believers, and a scorner of what turned out to be true, I was ignorant and didn't know what I was doing. I was flooded with such incredible grace, like a river overflowing its banks, until I was full of faith and love for Jesus, the Anointed One. I can testify that the word is true and deserves to be received by all. For Jesus Christ came into the world to bring sinners back to life, even me, the worst sinner of all. Yet I was captured by grace so that Jesus could display through me the outpouring of his spirit as a pattern to be seen for all those who believe in him for eternal life. Because of this, my praises rise to the king of of all the universe, who is indestructible, invincible, and full of glory, the only God who is worthy of the highest honors throughout all of time and throughout the eternity of eternities. Amen. Oh, it's just rich. Um, so I have to say, when I first looked at this, I thought, well, there's a lot in here to talk about tonight. Wow. And then as I started digging in and I spent an hour and 20 minutes on the first three verses, I went, wow, there really is quite a bit to cover. And this is going to be great. And then by last night, I was literally jumping up and down excited uh, because of all that the Lord is going to um, tell us, walk through with us tonight. So, um, let's just start with verse eight and we'll just go verse by verse here. So verse eight says, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. And so that makes me question, well, how do we use it properly? What, what's the, what is the purpose of the law? And so I think back to Moses, and I think about how God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, and he brings them into the desert, and he gives them the law. And you can read, there are a lot of Old Testament books that have lots of laws in them, and I, God was taking these people who had been indoctrinated for 400 years into the Egyptian way of thinking and saying, come over here now, and I want to show you my very best. I want to show you how to live, and I want to show you how wretched sin is and how I hate sin, and I want you to see what sin is so you can see what living a holy life looks like, and I think about the culture of Egypt, and I think about the culture of Ephesians and how, of Ephesus, and how is it much different than the culture here in the United States. And to be honest, I think it was probably worse because we don't have legalized, um, these legalized sexual immoral acts that were happening in the temple there in Ephesus. It might be happening, but it's not legal. And it was legal then. And so we say, oh, this country is just, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. And no, we're not there yet. We could be worse. But the idea is that our culture has accepted sin and said sin is right and what God says is wrong. And what um, Paul is doing is he's shining a light on this right now. And we're going to shine a light tonight on what is the purpose of the law and how we've been saved. And we're going to talk a ton about grace because that's what it comes down to. The law didn't have grace in it. There wasn't grace for the Israelites. But there is grace in Christ for us. Um, let's look at Romans 5, 20 and 21. And I'm going to read it out of the Passion. Romans 5, 20 and 21 when I get there. So then the law was introduced into God's plan to bring the reality of human sinfulness out of hiding. Don't you like that? To bring it out of hiding. And yet, wherever sin increased, there was more than enough of God's grace to triumph all the more. And just as sin reigned through death, so also the sin conquering grace will reign As king through righteousness, imparting eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Messiah. Um, I'm going to look at verse 17. Just bounce up to it if you would. And it says, death once held us in its grip. And by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace? And continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. And in the commentary, uh, it says here, a um, Paul speaks of God's grace in verse 17 as super abundant, but then adds the prefix hyper- making grace, and then there's a Greek word here that I cannot pronounce, so I won't even try, which could be translated super hyper abundant grace. There is an endless fountain of grace that has been opened up for us in Christ. And I like that super hyper abundant grace. Is there any other kind of grace Is there a casual grace? Is there just a little bit of grace? No, not with Jesus. With him, it's super, hyper, abundant grace. And then I think of Romans 8 where it says there's therefore now no condemnation for us. Well, if we are in the mode of operating in super, hyper, abundant grace, there's no room for condemnation because we can't even hear it because we're just over here in super, hyper, abundant grace. Just... Take a minute, bathe in that, because that's where we are. Let's look at Romans 13, 9 and 10. It says, The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And the passion says, love and value others the same way you love and value yourself. But this reminds me of when um, Jesus said in Matthew 5:17: Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. He didn't come to change it. He came to fulfill it. And so it says here, I'll read it again where it says, um, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And we learned last semester in First John, God is love. We studied that deeply and intensely. And we get, I think we've got it in here. I mean, it's in my brain now. I read things and I'm thinking First John because of how deep we went into it. And so we know that we have this love from him and then it causes us to then love others because that's where the grace then extends through us and out to others. And the last one I'll read, well, not the last. Why am I saying the last? There's a lot more here. Galatians 3. Galatians 3, 24 and 25. The law becomes a gateway to lead us to the Messiah, so that we would be saved by faith. But when faith comes, the law no longer in force. Wait, wait. But when faith comes, the law is no longer in force, since we have already entered into life. And that reminds me of when I've said time and time again. That eternal life starts at the day of salvation. Eternal life for us begins the day that we open our hearts up to the Lord, the day that we surrender to Him, the day that He introduces Himself to us and rushes in and pours over us His super abundant, super hyper abundant grace. And so here He says, um, the law becomes a gateway to lead us to the Messiah so that we would be saved by faith. But when faith comes, the law is no longer in force since we already have entered into eternal life. We're already there, so the law doesn't apply. It doesn't tie us down. We are not under the law, but we are under a new covenant. And that new covenant is love. Let's look at verse 9. We also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers, the rebels, the ungodly, etc. I want to just look at the very beginning. And it says, um, we also know that the law, that law is made not for the righteous. And so I think, who is Paul writing this letter to? Anyone? He's writing the letter to the church. In Ephesus and the people there are believers and he's writing to the believers and so he's saying the law is not for us because we are already righteous and why are we righteous because Christ's righteousness was credited to us and now that's how the father sees us he sees us as righteous he no longer sees us as sinners we're not sinners saved by grace we were sinners we are saved and now we are saints. Okay. We are righteous saints. One commentary that I was reading said, a saved person is not under the law but grace. He is not lawless, but the controlling force is the Holy Spirit, <coughs> excuse me, and the grace of God. I liked that combination of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and then the grace of God. That super hyper Abundant grace. Um, Our identity is that we are righteous. And when we believe it, we will walk different. And that's when we're going to walk in freedom. That's what we talk a lot about, is walking in freedom. And it's understanding our identity. And our identity begins with that we're righteous in Christ. We see ourselves as sinners; that's where we're going to stay. But if we see ourselves as righteous, we're going to move in a new and a different direction. Uh, so, verse ten lists quite a few sins. Am I safe to say, right? Nine and ten, really? I mean, we're talking about murder. We're talking about lying. We're talking about sexual sin, and the the list is long. And sometimes I think in the church, we find ourselves, um, very comfortable judging the sins of the world mm-hmm. and the sins of others. And, um, I think it's a good reminder for us that sin is sin mm-hmm. and there's no difference between sin and sin. And so, um, example of this would be, uh, I, I, know somebody who got pregnant as a teenager and, um in the church, um, that we attended was told, well, this is a public sin. So we deal with it in a different way. And so she was asked to apologize to the church for, for getting pregnant. And I said, but I just don't see that the difference, you know, I don't understand this public sin and private sin. And, and the pastor tried desperately to explain it to me so I could understand this thinking. But I don't think that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he died one sin for the teenage girl that got pregnant. I, I mean, one death, and then he died a different death for um, the the 40-year-old gossip of the church. Mm-hmm. Because that's private, because it's just the people she's whispering to. I, I think Jesus died one death. died the same death. But it's something that I've even struggled with, and I've shared in the past that I was sexually abused by my grandfather, my whole childhood. And so I was in my early twenties and I remember clearly this one day I'm having a conversation with the Lord and I'm in front of this fireplace in the apartment where I was living in Georgia. And I'm just wrestling it out with God, you know, asking why, why did he do this? Like, why would somebody do this to their own flesh and blood? Why? And then why would somebody else cover it up? Which is what happened. Why? And the Holy Spirit, in his small, still voice, just whispered one sentence to me. Why do you sin? And I didn't ask him why, I could, again, because it leveled the playing field for me. Because I know Jesus Christ. And my grandfather didn't. So why would I have an expectation on him? When I don't even have that same expectation of myself. Mm. And so I just want us to think as we look on Facebook and we read the hate for different politicians or, or different people's lifestyle choices. And we we judge and we condemn and we wag our finger. And, and we do not represent the Lord. Mm. That's not what he did. What did he do to the adulteress when he comes across her, when she falls in front of him, or if he was drugged to where she is? I don't know. But when when she's in front of him, what does he do? What does he do to the Samaritan woman? He doesn't judge, he doesn't condemn. He loves. He reaches out, he offers new life, and he offers something better. And he offers freedom. Why don't we do that as a church? Why do we stand and judge so harshly and and speak so vilely? And let's say enough of that. Let's not be part of that. Because it's ugly. And I, and I, I don't think any of these. I hate Trump or I hate whoever honors the Lord in the least. I think it would fall into this category of sin. And yet, there are many who would just promote hate in the name of Christ. (laughs) We, We don't see that. That's not what Paul is saying here. There's not anything written in this Bible. That's what we live by. This is the truth. So if the Bible isn't going to speak like that, then who are we? So that was the hard part that I had to say. And I asked the Lord, give me boldness to say it, but I think we have to hear it. Um, He ends in verse 10 talking about sound doctrine. And again, this goes back to, uh, for our study of 1 John, how there were so many false teachers of the time, like there are today. And Paul and John are quick to point it out and to say, hey, keep it in mind, be wise, be like the Bereans, search it out, and make sure that what you're hearing is lining up with this. You know, the levels of sin didn't line up with this. So keep that in mind. As he's, But here he says, um, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine, that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he has entrusted me. Let me read 12 as well. I thank Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. I think 11 and 12 go hand in hand. In my NIV, they're separated and I wouldn't have separated them because I think they just go right from one, the, he's saying God entrusted me to be, to carry out this gospel. And now he's giving me the strength. And it's almost like Paul is saying, I can't believe it. I can't believe I get to do what I get to do. And I can identify with that. I can't believe I get to preach the word of God and I get to do this because I think of who I am. I know, who I know me. <laughs> like we all know ourselves. Paul knew who he was, and then he goes on talking about all of the things that he did wrong. Right? He he says it. I was this horrible guy. I was violent. I was persecuting. I was a blasphemer, and I didn't even know it. And now God would use me. And I love how the passion says, "Mercy kissed me." Sit on that for a minute. Mercy kissed me when I was taking communion on Sunday. That was what I thought of. I'm I'm standing here taking communion because mercy kissed me. A beautiful picture. I love those words because that's what he does. It's intimate and it's real and it's tangible because he changes our lives and we look different and we talk different. And that's what Paul is saying. Look at me. I'm different because of Mercy. It just gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling to think about that. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And again, this is that. This time, it's just super abounding. It's not hyper. What did I say? What have I been saying? Super hyper? Yeah. Okay, right. Thank you. This is just super abounding. Okay, wow. Still. And that was when I got to this verse, I went, we've got to sing amazing grace. This is amazing grace before we start. Because he's super abounding grace. It is just washing over us. I look at 15 when he says, here is a trustworthy saying. I grew up King James faithful saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who? I am the worst. Oh, he's like, look at, this is who I was. And I can tell you, in in the Passion, it says, I can testify that the word is true. And he can say this because he got knocked off that horse (coughs) and he heard Jesus talk to him and call him to do what he's doing. And he knows who he was, and he knows who he is today. And I can tell you, I know who I was and who I am today. Now, I became a Christian little. I was five years old. So uh, before five, I wasn't like Paul. I didn't murder people. I didn't, you know, wasn't a blasphemer. I I didn't understand, you know. But God rescued me, and God saved me from pain and from heartache and he made me new and he renewed my mind. And when I think about where I could be based on what I endured for so long to who I am today, I sit back and I go, it is a miracle. It is a true miracle that I am able to stand here and speak to you like this. And there's only one reason, and that is grace. Because mercy kissed me and brought me along Mm -hmm. and walked me through freedom. In the midst of horror and the horrific and unimaginable that I wouldn't even talk about with you, he was there. And he kept my mind sound. It's a miracle, and it's one I thank him for. And when I do this, I'm reminded of how big our God is and how much he loves me. Mm -hmm. And then I hope you think how much he loves you because you are probably sitting there thinking in your thoughts of who you were before you knew him and all that he has brought you through and who you are today. There's just one reason for that. Grace and love. When I read this, um, when I was reading this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, I thought about Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The Greek word for save is sozo. And sozo encompasses many different aspects of salvation. And so some of us that have been through the freedom manual, this is review for others. It might be new, but it's good either way. So, so, so when, when we think of salvation, so often we think, um, we pray the prayer, Jesus forgives us of our sins and we go to spend eternity with him in heaven. Salvation is so much greater than that. Not that that wouldn't be enough because it would be, but God in his, in his love that he lavishes on us, he says, no, this is all I want to give you more. And so here are some things to write down. Um, Deliverance. He delivers us. He delivers us from sin. He delivers us from shame. He delivers us from guilt. He is the God who delivers. And these are great declarations. Robin was saying on Sunday that we should be, um, you know, speaking these declarations over ourselves. And this is a great declaration. I'm delivered. Like, hello. Like you're having a bad day. Hey, I'm, I'm delivered. You know, things aren't going well with the kids or in my classroom. Somebody's these acting up who cares because I'm delivered. Like that's enough, but there's more. Number two, restoration. I am restored. And I am restored back to my original design. When God was forming me in my mom's womb and breathing his plans over me, and then I'm born into sin, and then I find him, he's restoring me back to who he intended me to be. Wow. Wow. Three, I'm protected. Protection. He, there is nothing, I think of um, Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That is protected. Envy may come at us, we may experience difficulty, but nothing can take away the way God loves us. Nothing can touch that. He might try. But he can't touch it because once we're kissed by mercy, we're marked for his nothing. No attack from the enemy. Number four, preservation. We are preserved. He is our lifesaver. We are the striving jam that has been preserved. That's good for a long time. Because that's who we are in him. Healing, He offers healing in his salvation. I am healed. Well, I am healed. I mean, I can say I am healed because I don't have arthritis, which I talked a lot about last time. I won't go into it, but I am healed. The Lord has healed me. (laughs) I don't have endometriosis. I don't have arthritis. Why? Because of Sozo. That's why. And number six, making whole. I am made whole. I once was broken. Today I am whole. What beautiful word pictures for us to focus on? Verse sixteen says, "I was." Oh no, that's fifth, that's not it. Yet, okay. So here Paul's saying, you know, I'm this worst sinner. There's nobody worse than me. Verse sixteen. Yet. Love yet. Yet was my word for 2017. Yet I was captured by grace so that Jesus Christ could display through me the outpouring of his spirit as a pattern to be seen for all those who believe in him for eternal life. He's saying, hey, God is using me and I'm going to be buzzwords, authentic, transparent, I'm going to tell you how bad I was and I'm going to tell you how good God is. What an example for us. And that's why I stand here today and I tell you about my abuse because I want to be like Paul and be authentic and say, this is where I was and this is who I am today. I walk holy. I am healed because of who God is, because of his love for us. verse 17. I love this part. So Paul's leading up. It's kind of like the uh, the climax of the story. Here we go. Because of this, my praises rise to the king of all the universe who is indestructible. And this, again, could go back to the Gnostics that we learned about in First John. His body did not decay in the tomb. He rose from the dead. It was indestructible, invisible, and full of glory. The only God who is worthy of the highest honors throughout all of time and throughout eternity of eternities. Amen. And Paul can't help it. He's writing this letter, and the next thing you know, he's just pouring out a praise right there in the middle of the letter because he's just overwhelmed with the goodness of God. And I think about David. And I think about what David has been through in his, what he went through in his life and the sin he committed. And, um, Sherman and I've been teaching about this with our students and then he goes to the Lord and he receives forgiveness and he, um, so I want to read to you out of Psalms 18. This is my favorite song. I call it my life song and I'm going to read just one verse, but in it, he's talking about how his enemies are after him and he's. And then the Lord hears his cry in heaven and reaches down and rescues him. And so here's David's response back. This is why I thank God with high praises. I will sing my song to the highest God so all among the nations will hear me. He praises the Lord. He lifts up a praise to God. And that is what we are called to do. I like on um, Facebook, I saw Randy, was it Randy, right? You did the testimony. Yeah, Testimony Tuesday. I thought, yes, because that totally ties in with what I'm talking about tonight. It's, I want us to testify to how good God is. I want us to think about how great he is and what he's done for us and how our lives look at different and are different because of who he is. Because he's the only reason that we can smile and have joy. He's it. Because he is mighty. And when we think about that sozo, all of those things, he heals, he restores. He lavishes his love on us. So as we read this in 1 Timothy, let's remember, this is his heart cry. I worship a great God. And I want to teach you how to do that. That's what Paul's saying. So tonight, I would love for us, when we break up into our groups of four, that we would testify to how good God is. We would pray for each other, but we would, tonight especially, would be a night of praise and testimony. Tell your greatest miracle. And then think about today. What was your miracle for today? Share it with each other and let's build each other up because tomorrow when I'm in the middle of something and something doesn't go right, I I'm going to have three stories in my mind, depending on how many people are in my group of how God met their need. And if he met their need, if he met Sean's need and Marcy's need and Charmaine's need, and I know he's met my needs before, Oh, then that's what I'm going to walk in because that's my God. So that's what I have for us tonight.